I just, before we um, get into the word, I just want to pray for Joe Grimmond this morning. Joe's going in for a, a, a min- minor procedure this week, but uh, it's always uh, a challenge to go in, and she's staying overnight in hospital, so, no, you're not? I thought you might stay overnight, but, okay, we'll pray for Joe, and because uh, it's, it's never nice, no matter what it is, even if it's not something huge, it's still, there's always risks involved, and so let's pray for Joe, and uh, pray God's peace. Lord God, we just pray right now for your peace to be on Joe. Lord, as she goes in on Wednesday for this procedure, Lord, that you would be with her, that you would be with the, the doctors and the nurses who lead her through it, Lord God, and do what needs to be done. And we pray that, Lord God, everything will go well and that she will come out with a good report, we declare right now, a report of wholeness and healing, we declare right now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Who's ready for God's word this morning? Yes. You guys, I think we need a bit more light. Can we turn? I can't see the people very well. My eyes are getting worse in my old age. It's a, I might need glasses. Yeah. Oh, there you are. There you go. There's Helen with her smile. That's good to see. Tracy on the back row there. How are you doing? Good to see you. People like to be pointed out in church, isn't that right? Yeah, that's what you love. Well, I've got a little bit of a quiz for you today. If we can grab my PowerPoint up, if you pop it up. You love it? There may be. There you go. You just need to click on it. That would be great. There we go. Thank you. Anyone know who this fella is? Ever seen him before? Ah, yeah, come and have a look. Who? Prince Philip, you reckon? No, no no one agrees with you, Chris. Matt Gulzo in his younger years. That's right. Could be someone from the Bourne family, maybe. No, no. No. Has anyone ever watched Chariots of Fire? Yes? Well, this, this man is Eric Little. If you know the story of Eric Little, the Chariots of Fire told part of his story. Eric Little was the son of missionaries. He was born in China and later in his life he would also become a missionary to China himself. And Eric Little, I want to talk about him today because Eric Little did something that would be unheard of today. It, it was, it's quite radical and, and it, it's quite, quite amazing. You see... Eric Little was an elite sportsman in his time. He was born in, as it says there, in 1902. And he actually represented Scotland in rugby union. Uh, so he represented his nation. He was a Scottish man. And also then in 1924, he represented Great Britain at the Paris Olympics. And he, he entered as a sprinter. And his speciality was the 100-metre dash. They called it in those days. Everyone remember that? The hunt, we call it the 100 metres now, the 100-metre sprint. But they called it back then the 100-metre dash. But this is where Eric Little's story gets interesting because when he got to Paris, 
he discovered that the heats for the 100-meter dash would be run on a Sunday. And at that time, as a devout Christian, it was unheard of to do anything else other than be in church on a Sunday. Sunday was the Lord's Day. And this was, it was like this really, when I was a boy, my mum wouldn't allow me to play football on a Sunday. And so my AFL career went down the gurgler because of that. But uh, thanks, Mum. But we had to be in church. And, um, and the thing was, Eric Little was a devout Christian himself. And he believed that the right thing for him to do was not to run on a Sunday. That he wanted to honour God with every part of his life. Long story short, someone chose to pull out of the 400 metres and for him to have a, a spot there. And so he ran in the 400 metres, which wasn't his speciality. 400 metres is four times the length of, of the 100 metres. And, and so it's more of an, a longer endurance sort of thing. But he ran it and he won gold. And many people believe that you know, God honoured him with, with the gold medal because of his stance to honour God himself. And so today we might think that, that that decision he made might be a bit ridiculous in this day and age. But there's a part of me that thinks that there's something very special about that. That there's something very special about a, a, a faith that is so fully committed to God. A faith that shows that God is more important than any accolade or anything the world can give me. And I, today I want to finish our series on new beginnings. And this is the last, the last lesson I want to give to you today. But we're looking at the children of Israel in the book of Joshua. And today's lesson is very simple. And it's simply this. A new beginning needs our wholehearted commitment to God's plan for our lives, no matter what. If we're going to have a new beginning, it needs our wholehearted commitment to God and to God's plan for our lives, no matter what. When you read the book of Joshua, time after time, chapter after chapter, you read about the children of Israel committing themselves to fighting for the land that God has promised them. Battle after battle they fight, city after city they take, and they were fully committed to God's plan day after day. And they fought, went out to battle every day fighting for God's plan to come to pass. You see, every day, you think about that, every day they risked their lives to see God's plan fulfilled in their life. Think about that for a moment. God had promised them this land, but they risked their lives to see their new beginning come to pass. Now, I, I see that as a beautiful picture or a really powerful picture of what our walk of faith should look like. You see, every day we need to step out in faith and take a risk with our lives to do what God has called us to do. Every day we have to step out 
and say, God, I'm going to live for you today. If we're going to see new beginnings come to pass in our lives. Unfortunately, in the modern Western church, the practice of being a Christian has become something that's very safe. You might not agree with me this, with this fully, but I look around at many Christians and many churches and Christianity is very predictable. It's, it's very compartmentalized. You see, we have enough faith to get us to heaven, but that's about as far as it goes. In our lives, we've compartmentalized everything, just like an Ikea flat pack. Anyone got an Ikea, got an Ikea flat pack? You get it and you open the box and everything is perfectly packed, isn't it? They've, they've used every bit of space in that box and everything's lined up. And sometimes our lives are like that. We've got everything in our lives. You know, there's my marriage, there's my job, there's my study, there's, there's my spare time and there's my faith. There's my faith is just in there, nice little package, nice little spot in my life. I've got my spot for faith. I show up to church on Sundays. You know, I even give in the offering. Uh, you know, I might even pop into a home group once a week or a grow group. You know, th- that's my faith area of my life and it's really nice and well packed. But when I look at the children of Israel in the book of Joshua, I see a different kind of faith to that. You see, I see a faith, their faith showed us a faith where their life literally depended upon it. To the children of Israel, their whole life was their faith. Their whole life was all about faith. There wasn't a compartment for faith. They knew that they were God's chosen people and they lived their lives fully committed to that yeah, there's an, a, a really amazing story if you look in the book of Joshua it's in Joshua 14 and this will be your homework for today you can take this home I'm not going to go into it in detail today but there's a man by the name of Caleb anyone know Caleb <coughs> Caleb is a it, right in the middle right in Joshua 14 it talks about Caleb And this is after the children of Israel have conquered all the land and Joshua is divvying out the land to all the tribes. And Caleb comes to Joshua. Now Caleb, if you understand, he was one of the 12 spies that went into the promised land. And and out of those 12 spies, only two gave a good report, if you remember the story. And the two were Joshua and Caleb. The other 10 gave a poor report, which meant the children of Israel 40 years earlier did not receive the promised land. They wandered around in the desert for 40 years. And now, 45 years later, Caleb comes to Joshua. He is, only him and Joshua are the only ones left from that generation. And he comes to him and said, do you remember what God promised me? And he said, and throughout that passage, I want you to read it this week, Joshua 14, and even a little bit in 15. But have a read of it because in that passage, throughout it, it says this common theme about Caleb. Over and over again, it talks about him. And it says, because Caleb wholeheartedly served the Lord. Three times it says it. Because Caleb wholeheartedly served the Lord, Joshua allowed him to have his land. Because Caleb wholeheartedly served the Lord, 
God promised him a certain part of the promised land. Because Caleb wholeheartedly served the Lord, God gave him the land that he wanted. And this is the, this is the heart and the type of faith that God called the children of Israel to, to see their new beginning. And I believe that's the type of faith that God is calling us to as his children and as his church. The problem is, in today's age, sometimes we don't like to practice this kind of faith because we don't want to stand out in the crowd. Isn't that right? Many of us don't want to be like Eric Little. We don't want people to notice us. We don't want people to notice our faith, but God is calling us, church. He's calling us as his church to make a stand again for him, to be wholeheartedly committed to his ways and his calling for our life. Our new beginning involves being wholeheartedly committed to God. You see, as Christians, Jesus never asked us to become a part of his fan club. He asked us to be his disciples. He asked us to follow his example. And let's be honest, there's no one who modelled this type of wholehearted, on-the-edge, risky kind of faith like Jesus did. Isn't that right? If you look at his life, he, he did some crazy stuff that we, we'd go, wow, why did he do that? But as a church, as the poor church, our vision is that we would live like Jesus lived. Jesus lived this way, if he lived wholeheartedly committed to God, then that's what we're called to do as well. You see, Jesus' faith was characterized by extreme examples of love towards people. His faith showed radical acts of kindness to those who everyone else overlooked. His faith as well, the incredible thing, showed miraculous power. His faith expected more than the ordinary. It expected the extraordinary. He lived on the edge and he was prepared to take risks. He was prepared to count the costs. You look at his life over and over again. He did things that the people of his time thought were crazy. Number one, he talked to women. And you go, well, what's the big deal about that? But in his culture, if a woman wasn't a part of your family, you would never talk to them. But he chose to talk to a Samaritan woman. He chose to talk to the woman caught in the act of adultery. He chose to talk to the woman who touched the hem of his garment. He chose to cross that cultural barrier and that divide and to show women how valuable and how special and how important they were. This is the type of faith he had. His faith as well um, did things like he healed people on the Sabbath. Now, if you understand Jewish culture, that was a big no-no. It was literally the reason they crucified him. It was one of the reasons they gave to crucify him was this man is healing people on the Sabbath. He is working on the Sabbath. It's against our law to work on the Sabbath. The religious leaders of his day were disgusted by what he was doing. This is the type of faith he had. He touched lepers. This is pretty um, interesting in days of COVID. But he was willing 
to touch someone who was unclean. Someone who you, everyone else steered away from. They literally wore bells and had to ring bells when they were walking through the town so nobody would come near them. This is, Jesus crossed that barrier and said, you are valuable, you are important. I love you enough to touch you. Jesus also, when he was choosing his disciples, this is the type of faith, the radical, crazy, risky, on-the-edge type of faith he displayed and lived, wholeheartedly committed to God. But, and if you read it, you understand that when Jesus chose his disciples, it says that he prayed all night before he chose them. So he didn't treat this thing lightly. But when he chose them, amongst the disciples was a tax collector. If you understand what tax collectors were, they were um, seen as, if I could describe them today, they probably, you'd describe them as like mafia bosses, where they would extort money from people and get more money from them out of them than they their taxes deserved and would draw more out of them and... If they didn't get that, then they would punish those people, have them thrown in jail and all sorts. They were the, the Jews considered them the lowest of the low. But when Jesus chose his disciples, he was willing to choose one of them, a tax collector, to follow him. A couple of le- weeks ago when I shared, I shared from Matthew 16, verse 24 to 26, And if Jesus' example of faith is our example, then he makes it really clear that if we're going to follow him, this is what we need to do. Where it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit it? Is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And what will a man give in exchange for his soul? It's a pretty full-on statement that Jesus makes. But if I am to be a disciple of Jesus, if we are to be followers of Jesus, it's all about losing our life, not saving it. You see, to find real life, I must be prepared to give my life away for the sake of God and for the sake of others. This tells me there should be nothing safe about being a Christian. It should be the riskiest lifestyle around. The question I ask myself and the question I ask you is, am I willing to deny myself and take up my cross for Christ's sake? The world tells us to be safe. The world tells us to make sure we have everything in order. The world tells us, like, be balanced, be orderly, be, you know, get everything sorted out. But Jesus tells us to lay our lives down. Jesus tells us to take up our cross. Jesus tells us to deny ourselves. He is showing us a type of faith that is risky. A type of faith that I believe is more eternal-minded than earthly-minded. So here's the dilemma. How do we balance this? How do we balance being a responsible citizen 
but being a Christian that lives with this kind of faith, who's willing to take risks, who's willing to step out, who's willing to make a stand like Eric Little. And, and it doesn't matter how old you are, we're all called to this type of faith. Caleb was 85 years old. And he said, I'm as strong today as I was when I was 40 years old. So don't let your age be an excuse. Whether you're young or whether you're old, it doesn't matter. We're all called to serve God wholeheartedly, to take up our cross and live for him. So I want to give you a couple of ideas or a couple of thoughts on how we can practice this type of faith. Now, if we're going to live by wholehearted committed, edge-of-the-seat type of faith, then there's a couple of things we need to do. And the first thing that you need to know is God is for you. If we're going to have and, and practice this type of denying ourselves, taking up our cross, wholeheartedly serving God, we need to know that God is for us. You see, the un underlying uncompromising truth that underpins everything we do as Christians is based on the unshakable belief that God loves us. If, you're not, if your life is not solid when it comes to knowing how much God loves you, let me say this, you will never take a risk for God. If you don't understand how much God loves you, you'll never take up your cross as he calls us to. You see, it's only when we have a revelation of God's love that we gain this type of security. When we gain a security that it doesn't matter what happens outside of us, we know we are safe in God's hands. Victor Hugo, the author of Les Miserables, a powerful book, said these words, The greatest happiness of life is the conviction that we are loved. Loved for ourselves, or rather, loved in spite of ourselves. Doesn't that sound like God's love? God's love for us? The greatest conviction that we can have is that we are loved, and we know we are loved, but we know we are loved by God in spite of ourselves. Because I know that without God, I'm just, just a sinner. Just part of the crowd. But God's love makes a difference. You see, it's God's love that removes the greatest obstacle of all to us living out this type of radical faith, this on-the-edge risky faith. You see, God's love removes the obstacle of fear. In the Bible, the Apostle John says these powerful words. And listen to this really carefully because these aren't my words. These are God's words to us. So don't shoot me. Have a talk to God about it if you don't like what this says. But it says here, Love has been perfected among us in, in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because... As he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. 
But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him, talking about God, because he first loved us. This is a challenge. But perfect love casts out all fear. If we know that we know that we know that God loves us, if we understand that, if we, we realize that, that he loves us, that we really know that. It says that perfect love casts out all fear. It says that no fear then can stop us from what God calls us to do. When we know that we know, nothing can stand in our way. Now it's important to understand that we, we need to not fall into tra- to the trap to think that because God loves us, then we'll never have pain or suffering in our lives. I have to diffuse that wrong thinking because I know this might upset some of you, but the reality is the, while we are on this earth, we will experience pain and suffering. It's, it's a reality of this experience. The rain falls on the just and the unjust the same. There's no, no separation in that. But at the same time, we need to understand that suffering is not a result from God not loving us. See, nothing will separate from us from God's love, not even suffering. We need to understand that and hold on to the belief that God will never leave us. And even if the risks we take and the faith we live leads to, our, to the final nail in our coffin and death, death is only a doorway to a greater experience of God's love for us. This is the truth. Sometimes we look at pain and suffering and go, God, why are you doing this to me? Or why is this happening? Where are you in this? Well, God's right there with you in it. He is right there with you. He has not gone anywhere. He is with you and he is walking with you. Because you go, explain this further. There's no better way to explain it than Romans 8, 35 and 39. Where Paul says, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scripture says, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. What's Paul's answer? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us what's he going to say i am convinced that nothing can separate us from god's love neither death nor life neither angels nor demons neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow just think about that for a moment Sometimes the greatest obstacle of us living wholeheartedly for God is our fears for today and our worries about tomorrow. But when we know God's love is for us, when we know that they can't be like nothing can separate us from God's love, our fears for today and our worries for tomorrow should fade away. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. 
No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all, nothing in all creation. It doesn't say nothing in creation on earth. Do we believe God created everything? Everything? The heavens, the earth, the universe, all of it. Nothing in all creation, all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. How amazing is that? How amazing is that? You need to understand that God loved you and me enough to take the ultimate risk by sending his son. And his son loved us so much that he came and paid the ultimate sacrifice and price so that we could have this real life, this life given by God, this love of God that would, we could never be separated from. And the father and son sent the Holy Spirit, so that we could have a helper and an advocate to be with us, to remind us that God loves us, that you have God with you, no matter what you're going through, no matter through that whole list, no matter what it looks like. Don't ever think that you suffering in your life is because God has turned his back on you. That is a lie from the pit of hell. The, the truth is that God loves you and he will never leave you. His love will never leave you. He has shown us everything he has done shows us how much he loves us. So you have nothing to fear because he loves you. He has given his all for you. When you read this, when you consider how much God loves us, Matthew 16, the idea of denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following him is not a scary thing. Because when it's based on this kind of love, we understand that it's okay for us to give our all because God gave his all for us. So why isn't it? Why, why it's not considered to be silly that we would give our all for God. Isn't that right? The next thing we need to understand is that Yes, we need to know God is for us, but we also we need to know or we need to be who we are or you need to be who you are. You see, now because of God's great love, God now calls us to be who he created us to be. You see, he created us to be his children the children in his family. The Bible tells us he created us to be soldiers in his army. The Bible tells us that he created us to be members in his body. Isn't that right? So now, because God loves us so much, now is our time to be who he called us to be. The children of Israel knew they were God's chosen people. So when they entered Canaan, they went in as God's chosen people, taking the promise that God had given them. To be these things, if we're going to be who we are called to be, we need to be connected to God and we need to be prepared to do whatever he asks us 
no matter the challenges and risks involved. Dave McCracken, a famous prophet in Australia, says these words, We need to take the time to hear God's voice and have the courage to do what he says. The Christian life is all about responding to God's great love by connecting with him, by coming to him in prayer and and giving time in our life for him to come and connect with us and for us to connect with him. When we connect with him, we hear his voice. And when we hear his voice, he tells us things about ourselves, tells us how he believes in us, tells us that we're fearfully and wonderfully made, tells us that he has a purpose and a plan for our lives. He tells us that you are my child and I'm with you and nothing can separate you from my love. He tells us these things. But he also tells us what he's called us to do. And he shows us what he wants us to do with our lives for him. And so when we understand his love for us, then we respond by obeying what he says. Now this doesn't mean we, we, you know, we think up all sorts of crazy things, you know, I'm going I'm to sell up everything tomorrow and I'm going to go you know, buy a boat and travel to China and be a missionary there. No, it's whatever you, God calls you to, he confirms through his word. He confirms through others around us. It's not just doing anything you want or thinking anything off the top of your head. It's, it's based upon God's word and his church and, and, and that sort of wisdom. And simply, when God asks us to do things and he asks us to take risks for him and his kingdom, we need to understand and remember that the greatest command that he has given us is to follow his example and that simply means loving those around us with the same kind of love that he has called us to sometimes we get ahead of ourselves and think I'm going to do this for God I'm going to do that for God I want to I want to you know preach the word to thousands and I want to lead worship or I want to be a missionary here there and everywhere but sometimes we need to understand God's most simple command is taking the risk to love those around us. He said it to his disciples in John 15, 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Sometimes we get settled and we get comfortable. And the challenge that God places before us is to reach out to those around us and show them the love of God. That's where we start taking a risk. That's the first place. That is the risk of taking his message of hope to those who haven't heard. To continually be a witness to those around us of his great love. Sometimes the risk or the biggest risk we can take is actually reaching out to our neighbours and our friends and our family and show them the love of God. You know, this week I had to go to a funeral and God really convicted me as I was at that funeral. It was my auntie's funeral, my mum's brother's wife, auntie by marriage. She was 74 and died suddenly. And I went to this funeral and I caught up with all my cousins on my mum's side of the family. 
Many of them were there as well. Hadn't seen many of them for probably 10 or more years. And I had such a conviction as I talked to them and, and that I, I need to show these people the love of God. I've missed an opportunity with my own family in many ways, not showing up to stuff and not doing stuff because I've got so busy pastoring churches and stuff. You see, God calls us to be. He calls us to be his children wherever we go, to be his witnesses wherever we are. If we're going to live wholeheartedly for God, then we need to be who he's called us to be. Just in closing, as we come to a close, obedience to God is always risky. It's risky. It has to be. When you take a step to obey what God is saying, if you, if you read his word and God's saying to you, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. We know the type of love that God showed. A sacrificial, laying your life down sort of love. When God asks you to love like that, that's a risk. That's dangerous. That's scary. That's getting out of your comfort zone. But when it's built on the fact that you know that he's, he loves you and, he, and it's built on the fact that you, you know he loves people, let me say this, you will always be victorious. That doesn't mean that you're not going to have struggles and suffering and pain and hardship. That's all part of life. That's going to happen. But when you lose your life doing God's will, that's when you find real life. Look through history and you see so many people throughout history who were willing to wholeheartedly serve God with everything they had. And they literally changed history. Literally changed it. Amazing. Florence Nightingale, a Christian woman who chose to provide medical help to the hurting and the most vulnerable in her community because that today we have hospitals because one Christian woman decided to make a stand to take a risk to love people and to use what she knew to do it someone this is someone you might know Mother Teresa is a story we know where she Catholic nun gave up everything left her home in Albania and went to a remote place in the world at that time called Calcutta and started a ministry of mercy that has ministered to thousands, literally thousands upon thousands of people. Changing the world's landscape in many ways and bringing the, the attention of the poor in India to the wider world. But we're not all called to be a Mother Teresa. We're not all called to go overseas and do that, but we are all called to live wholeheartedly for God. We're all called to take up our cross. We're all called to deny ourselves and to lay ourselves down for others. We're all called to that. And I love what Mother Teresa says. She says, We think sometimes that poverty is only being hungry, naked and homeless. 
The poverty of being unwanted, unloved and uncared for is the greatest poverty. We must start in our own homes to remedy this kind of poverty. Church all around us, in our community, in our families, in our homes, there's poverty. There's people who feel unwanted. There's people who feel unloved and uncared for. And God is calling us as His people, as His church to reach them. He's calling us to show them God's love in real ways. And that means taking a risk. It it might mean taking a risk of stepping out of your comfort zone, knocking on your neighbour's door. Who knows? It may take... Maybe about taking the risk of coming along to pop up on a Wednesday night and sitting on a table and talking to people who feel unloved, uncared for. It's getting out of your comfort zone. It's taking a risk. But God is calling us to live wholeheartedly for Him. I believe with my whole heart that our church's new beginning is this, that we would return to our first love. That our new beginning is this, that we would live wholeheartedly for God. That we would be willing to risk whatever it takes to love those around us. To love God with everything we have and love the people right in front of us. That's living wholeheartedly for God. That's a faith that God has called us to. Bow your heads in prayer as we pray. it's time it's time to give God our all it's time to give God our best it's time to give God our whole life not just a part of it not just a compartment but everything we have and I want to invite you to come with me on this journey to say God I commit myself wholeheartedly to whatever you want me to do. Whatever you have for me, whatever you ask, whether it's loving a neighbour or stepping out in another way, God, I, I come to you and I give myself wholeheartedly to you. I want to be like Caleb at 85 taking a mountain. I want to be like Eric Little that's willing to lay aside worldly fame and fortune for the sake of God's kingdom. I want to be like that. No matter how old you are or how young you are, I believe God is calling us to wholeheartedly commit ourselves to Him with everything we have. So right now as I pray, I'd ask you to pray with me. 
in making a fresh commitment to wholeheartedly serving Him. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank You for Your Word today. I thank You for the example that You show us in Your Word. That You, Jesus, gave Your all. You held nothing back. You knew how much God loved you. You knew how much the Father loved you and you responded appropriately. God, I pray for each of us here that we would know how much you love us, that we would understand how much you love us and have a fresh revelation of your great love for us, that we won't care about the troubles and the difficulties we're going through, but we will know that you are with us and with you anything is possible. That with you we are victorious no matter what our circumstances look like. That with you we are your children and that we would be everything you have called us to be. God, help us live for you with every part of our lives. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Just as we finish... I just sense there's a, a, not a somber is the wrong word, but a, a solemn, solemn sense here of God's challenged us. He's challenged me, church. I don't preach this word lightly because I have to live it just as much as you guys. But I just want you to take a moment, maybe in your seats with the person next to you, just to pray together. We can close the service and tea and coffee will be on and you can mingle as you're ready and you're comfortable. But when you take a moment just to pray for each other, pray for each other and maybe you have an, an area that you believe God's asking you to do but you're, you're a bit afraid or you're a bit worried or concerned about how the people might respond, maybe you can ask the person next to you to pray for you and uh, Pray, ask them to pray that you'd have the courage and strength to do what God is asking you to do. So don't, why don't we finish with that today and just finish encouraging one another and praying for each other. God bless.